This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Did you know we have ad-free episodes? All you have to do is join our Patreon or click the subscribe button on Apple Podcast. For just $2.99 a month, you'll get ad-free early episodes in addition to 11 bonus episodes. Don't miss this opportunity. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of The Murder Diaries. I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. In late April of 2010, 23-year-old Aubrey Sacco was in the last stretch of a solo trek she'd made to Asia following her graduation from the University of Colorado. Aubrey was a beautiful, artistic, and soulful young lady. This type of solo trip wasn't something she was fearful of at all. After all, in the past, she had made friends in foreign countries, playing soccer with locals, tutoring local school children, and she even practiced yoga with her new friends. On April 21st, Aubrey made her way into the Langtang National Park in Nepal, promising her parents that this hike through the Himalayas wouldn't take more than 7 to 10 days, and that she'd email them as soon as she'd returned. That email never came. Aubrey disappeared after leaving a small lodge and never reached her destination. More than 10 years later, there are still no clues as to what happened to Aubrey or where she might be. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Aubrey Caroline Sacco was born January 17, 1987, to Connie and Paul Sacco. Aubrey was a middle child. She had an older brother named Crofton and a younger brother named Morgan. The family lived in Greeley, Colorado, about 50 miles northeast of Denver. Her best friend and now sister-in-law, Amanda, described Aubrey as being the equilibrium in the family. She was the type of girl who had a knack for being able to bring positive energy into just about any situation. Aubrey attended the University of Colorado, graduating with a degree in art therapy and psychology in 2009. She's often referred to by friends and family as the glitter girl, carrying a container of glitter around with her on campus to sprinkle on people, encouraging them to live their lives to the fullest. While in college, Aubrey was described as a party girl who often attended raves and even organized a campus dance day at her school. From a young age, Aubrey loved expressing herself. She was creative and artistic and full of positivity. On the official website dedicated to Aubrey and her search, she's described as a vibrant artist. Quote, she loves painting, writing music, and singing. She plays the violin, guitar, and piano. She loves to hike, cook, and sew blankets, dresses, and other items in her spare time. 
She has traveled to many countries around the world, including Greece, Panama, Costa Rica, Japan, Thailand, Sri Lanka, India, and Nepal. Her courage and willingness to embrace new experiences is an inspiration to others. She has a passion for meeting people, listening, and understanding their backgrounds. Aubrey grew up playing sports with a particular love for soccer like the rest of her family. She even played for a bit during college. Much like soccer, Aubrey excelled in music as well. As a young girl, she played the violin, eventually playing in the University of Colorado's orchestra. Aubrey also taught herself how to play the guitar, which she used to write and play songs with her father. Aubrey's mom, Connie, told ESPN that her daughter was named after a 1970s song by the band Bread. The first two lines in the song seemed to describe Aubrey to a T. Quote, and Aubrey was her name, a not-so-very-ordinary girl or name. Aubrey, like the glitter she so lovingly spread, sparkled in the lives of those who knew her. Her father, Paul, told ESPN that Aubrey was unlike anyone else, and he expanded saying the following, She has boundless energy, great intellect, goodness, driving ambition, and she really does brighten every room she enters. Aubrey makes sad people happy. She never has a bad thing to say about anybody, and she's the most amazing artist I've ever seen. If there was only one word to describe her, it would be inspirational. Everyone who knows her would tell you that. After college graduation, Aubrey still wasn't quite sure exactly what she wanted to do with her life. Her mother said that she talked about becoming a yoga instructor, a professional violinist, or an art therapist for children. Connie wasn't surprised at her daughter's indecisiveness regarding her career. Aubrey was a dreamer and had a lot of things that she wanted to do in her life. Connie told Phil Star Global that Aubrey kept reminders of her goals, saying she wrote them on pieces of paper that she attached to her mirror as a daily reminder, a reminder of home. They changed as she grew up. Aubrey's friends and family knew that whatever she decided to do with her life after college, she'd live up to her motto, glitter the world. After graduating from college, 23-year-old Aubrey made the decision to make a solo trip to Asia. It was meant to be a journey of self-reflection and finding herself. Aubrey planned to trek across India, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. On December 13, 2009, Paul and Connie dropped their only daughter off at the airport. She was headed to the town of Tangale in Sri Lanka, where she was going to work as a yoga instructor at the Amanwala Resort. Connie posted photos on her Facebook page of a smiling Aubrey walking up to and through security, then down the escalator. This was the last time that the Sakos saw Aubrey in person. She was supposed to return back to Colorado on May 24th, which meant that she'd be gone for a total of 162 days. Not much is published about Aubrey's exact movements during the first four months of her trip. Her parents gained access to the travel blog that Aubrey kept on her computer and have published a few of her posts on the official Aubrey Sacco Facebook page. She kept in constant contact with her family, talking on the phone, sending emails, or making video calls. One of the blog posts that Aubrey's parents posted in the official Facebook page detailed how easily she made friends in a foreign country. 45 minutes later, the all-too-familiar sound of bare feet passing around a soccer ball took me out of my meditation. I turned around to notice that there were two wooden posts with a string drawn across the top and a group of various aged boys from 10 to 25 years old passing around the ball. Thankfully, I've spent 90% of my life on a soccer field and bless this world for its universal language, a sport that every side of the earth knows how to play, much more passionate in every country outside the U.S. 
I ran into my prison cell at the Beach Villa guest house to put on my sports bra and emerged with the intent of becoming part of this new beach and knocking around some of the local boys. As I entered the sand field, sand's boundaries, I yelled, can I play? Their excitement and yelling, who knows what they were saying in Sinhalese, attracted a larger audience. I'm not sure if they were more curious because I was a foreigner or if I was a girl. The posing team laughed as they now had to become skins so I could differentiate the team. And obviously, they weren't going to make me take off my shirt. The energy of the game picked up and the heckling began. My teammates didn't pass to me for the first 10 minutes of the game. But as soon as I started tackling and knocking them into the sand, they knew I was serious and was here to get dirty. We played a crappy game of soccer till we couldn't see the ball any longer. The Sri Lankans have no tactics for the game, but tackle, run fast, and boot the ball. But they were tough. I promised to come back the next night, same time, same place, and retreated to my room covered in brown Nagombo beach dust. I woke up today with sore calves, bruised shins, and scrapes from the rocks in the sand. Playing soccer on the beach is tough, and the ball moves at snail speed, like running in slow motion in a dream. But I came back for more. The boys were sad it was my last night playing since I'm leaving tomorrow morning for India. But I took down one of their addresses and promised to send them a box of soccer balls when I returned back to the U.S. After Aubrey's disappearance, her mother found a name and address in her travel journal written to remind Aubrey of where to send the soccer balls. Connie packaged up several balls, a note explaining what had happened to Aubrey, and mailed them to the address. Connie knew that Aubrey would be so happy to know that the soccer balls made their way to her new friends in Sri Lanka. As Aubrey made her way through India and Sri Lanka, she tried to soak in everything about the culture. She preferred to stay with locals rather than staying in hostels. Tracy Ross, a journalist for Backpacker, wrote an in-depth essay following Aubrey's disappearance. Ross detailed some of the things Aubrey did before arriving in Nepal. Quote, in Sri Lanka, she'd searched for octopus in the Indian Ocean with a boy she had a crush on. Later, she volunteered at an orphanage and studied yoga at an ashram in sweltering Mysore, India. Afterward, to escape the heat, she traveled to Darjeeling, India. It was there from a hostel rooftop that she gazed at the vast white Himalayas for the first time and decided she must visit Nepal. Aubrey had less than a month left in her trip and decided that she wanted to hike through Langtang National Park in Nepal. She told her parents that it shouldn't be more than 7 to 10 days and that she'd contact them as soon as she returned. Connie tried to convince her daughter not to take the trek through the area, or at least to wait until her father was done with his surgery. Paul was having hip surgery back in Colorado on the same day that Aubrey planned to start her hike, April 21st. They urged her to hire a guide or go with a group, but Aubrey's mind was made up. She was going solo. She assured her parents that the trip was no big deal, telling them that it was in a national park. It was safe. She explained that it was tea house trekking, which is where the traveler stays in a lodge each night of the trek. Aubrey said goodbye to the friend she'd made in the Langtang Valley, a young man who was a part-time tourist guide. He continued down the valley while Aubrey started her hike up. As she ascended, it's likely that Aubrey would have seen other people on the trail, including locals, families, or other trekkers. The trail crossed over the Langtang River on a suspension bridge, then turned into a steep dirt ascent. The next reported sighting of Aubrey was at Lama Hotel, several hours ahead of where she'd crossed the bridge. Lama Hotel was a small town of several tea houses, which are typically private rooms with basic lodging and meals. Usually they're attached to a traditional family home, similar to like a bed and breakfast. 
When questioned later, locals said that they had seen the American brunette eating pizza, drinking Coke, and reading the book that she'd been given by a friend. Inside the Sherpa Lodge, locals recalled that Aubrey sat down at a table where three young men began chatting with her. The men were around Aubrey's age and seemed nothing out of the ordinary until Aubrey told them that she was planning on continuing to the next village, Riverside, which was about a two-hour hike. Apparently, the men told Aubrey that Riverside was much too far for her to reach so late in the day, especially alone. It was early afternoon, and Aubrey reportedly told the men that they were wrong. The Riverside was just an hour away. With that, it was reported that Aubrey left the lodge. Like many of the lodges and tea houses in the area, there were registers for guests to sign in to indicate they'd arrived. You would think, great, we can verify that Aubrey signed in. Except she never did. The next destination, which housed an army checkpoint two hours past Riverside, was Gora Tabela. The register at this location was mandatory, meaning Aubrey would have had to sign in, but there was no signature from her there either. About seven days after Aubrey began her hike up through the Langtang National Park, her mother was waiting for an email that her daughter had returned safely. Unfortunately, she never got one. Days passed, and the Sakos grew more and more concerned, still with no contact from their daughter. Connie started calling lodges in the area, hoping that one might have a record of Aubrey being there or know where she was. Unfortunately, Connie learned that the lodges didn't have check-in systems and that there were no real records that they could check. In early May, the Sakos contacted the U.S. Embassy in Nepal to see if they could help locate Aubrey. The embassy informed them that there was a strike in Nepal that had shut down the whole country. They told the Sakos that the strike may have delayed Aubrey and that they should wait until the strike was over. Time went on and the strike ended, but there was still no word from or sign of Aubrey. On May 16th, Paul and Aubrey's older brother, Crofton, flew to Kathmandu to search for Aubrey. Between the dates of May 4th and July 1st, over 200 people assisted in the search of the Langtang Trail and its surrounding areas. Searchers utilized helicopters and ropes to scan the river and the deep wooded areas, while others, like Paul and Crofton, canvassed the area on foot. Through speaking with witnesses and investigators, Paul, Crofton, and a Nepali family friend put together a timeline of Aubrey's last known movements. They found that on April 20th, Aubrey left a hotel in Kathmandu and took a bus to Langtang National Park. To lighten her pack load while she hiked, she left the majority of her luggage and her computer at the hotel. She never returned to get her belongings. Aubrey did, in fact, start her hike on April 21st, and then spent the night at the hotel in Langtang National Park. While there, she spoke with a guide about plans to volunteer with school children in Kathmandu after she finished the hike. The guide stated that he saw Aubrey continue along the trail April 22nd. She was recorded having tea at another hotel along the trail that same day. There were no sightings reported of Aubrey after that. So nothing after April 22nd. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. May 22nd, the day that Aubrey was scheduled to fly back to the U.S., came and went. 
The map that Connie had hung in Aubrey's bedroom in Colorado, marking each town that Aubrey traveled through, was unchanged. There was no sign of Aubrey anywhere. The Sakos made relationships with locals in Nepal who helped with questioning those in the area. A kayaking guide, Ramesh, questioned villagers shortly after Paul and Crofton began their searches. Ramesh was the one who reported back to the Sakos about the alleged conversation that had occurred at the Sherpa Lodge just before Aubrey disappeared. Paul, Connie, and Aubrey's younger brother, Morgan, returned to Nepal in July of 2011 to search the Langtang Valley. They questioned several people at the Sherpa Lodge, including the owner, the cook, and one of the young men who Ramesh claimed to have spoken to Aubrey. All three had a different story this time, saying they had never seen Aubrey. The young man said to the Sakos, we don't remember seeing this girl, but if we had known she was going to go missing, we wouldn't have let her leave. This statement obviously concerned the Sakos, and when they tried to question the cook once more, Connie told journalist Tracy Ross of Backpacker that the owner's wife screamed at the cook not to answer. It was difficult for the Sakos to understand what could have happened to Aubrey. she traveled outside the U.S. before and was not someone who was new to different customs and people. Connie told CNN that her daughter was used to being in foreign countries, saying this is not an irresponsible traveler. She embraces the culture wherever she travels. She's the one you'll usually find with the villagers as opposed to the high-end places. She wanted to learn about the places where she could volunteer. The police in Kathmandu told the Sakos that they'd questioned the men at the Sherpa Lodge several times. The Nepali army reported that they'd spoken to each of the soldiers who had been stationed at Gore Tabela. Searches continued throughout the Langtang Valley with the military scouring the area with dogs. Private investigators hired by the Sakos searched cliffs, caves, and the Langtang River below the trail. Paul later said that about three quarters of the hikeable terrain in the park had been searched. There were absolutely no signs of Aubrey anywhere. Shannon, an American working in Nepal, volunteered to help with the search for Aubrey. She told CNN that it wasn't long before the locals became nervous when questioned about Aubrey's disappearance. Shannon, like many others, told media outlets that locals were scared of the police, and that's why many had changed their stories. Those at Lama Hotel, who had initially reported seeing Aubrey eating there before she disappeared, now denied ever seeing her. Paul knew that anyone who'd meet or seen his daughter wouldn't have forgotten her. He told CNN that Aubrey is bubbly and funny. Anybody who saw her is going to remember her. Unfortunately, those at the hotel continued to deny that they'd ever met Aubrey. It truly seemed as though Colorado's glitter girl had fallen off the face of the earth. Aubrey's family was devastated, but they refused to give up hope. They continued to knock on doors and make phone calls, looking for any small lead or piece of information that would help them find Aubrey. What they found was that Aubrey was just one of several travelers who disappeared in the area of Langtang. The Sakos kept loved ones and the public updated on their search for Aubrey, posting as often as they were able to on a blog. The family launched an ad on a truck campaign in Washington, D.C. in hopes of raising awareness of Aubrey's case. The family traveled back and forth between Colorado and Nepal while attempting to gain the attention of influential figures at the same time, like Bill and Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, and former U.S. senators. On February 9, 2011, about nine months after Aubrey left for her trek through Langtang National Park, her family posted that they were grateful that the U.S. Embassy in Nepal was working with them, but that they needed more support and involvement from the U.S. government. The family ended this post by sharing that they maintained hope that Aubrey was still alive. Quote, 
there is still not a shred of evidence that she is not with us. And most people with any intuition, especially her family, believe she is alive and will return. The Sockos noticed almost as soon as Aubrey's missing persons posters were put up in Kathmandu and Langtang, they disappeared. Connie theorized to Phil Star Global that she thinks the country is vastly unprepared to handle these disappearances and that the families of the missing people are typically the ones investigating. Connie believes that Nepal wants all those cases to disappear, and that's why Aubrey's posters kept getting removed. Many of the businesses in the area relied on tourism, and any sort of negative attention was bad for them. Unfortunately, the disappearances and attacks continued in Nepal. 23-year-old American hiker Lena Sessions was hiking in the same park that Aubrey disappeared in in December 2011 when a man attacked her with a knife. Lena said that the man told her that he'd either sexually assault or kill her. Fortunately, Lena escaped alive. Four years before Aubrey disappeared, a French woman disappeared from another national park in Nepal. Shortly after, a German woman went missing from the same park, and another missing German woman was found dead in a ravine. As the year anniversary of Aubrey's disappearance approached, the Sakos updated their blog. Our hearts are heavy that Aubrey has not been found, but our resolve that we will find her is stronger than ever. There are others in Nepal, too, that have gone missing and been found one or two years later. Lasakos reminded readers that they were continuing to search for a French woman by the name of Danielle. Danielle was a woman who had been on the same trail as Aubrey on the date she disappeared. They also said that they were looking for a man that they'd found in a photo on her computer. The man was sitting at a table, and it seemed as though Aubrey took a photo of him while sitting across from him. In November 2011, the Sakos left Nepal, relying on the police and military to continue searching for Aubrey and investigating her disappearance. Unfortunately, after they left, the investigation didn't have the same momentum. The prime minister in Nepal left his post, and other officials that the Sakos had worked with were moved to other jobs, while some were even placed in prison. The Sakos expressed how disappointing this was, saying, The government in Nepal changes almost weekly, and nothing is for certain. Never have we seen such a dichotomy between wonderful, kind, and honest people and the tumultuous government that rules them. In early 2012, the young man in the photo found on Aubrey's computer was identified by a consultant that the Sakos hired. Paul wrote that he was a good guy and that he'd traveled a bit with Aubrey in Darjeeling. The family continued putting pressure on the officials and police in Nepal, still believing that Aubrey was alive. In the meantime, in May of 2012, a 23-year-old Belgian hiker went missing, again, not far from where Aubrey went missing. The hiker's name was Debbie, and she'd been missing for 10 days when her decapitated body was found near a hiking trail in the Langtang National Forest. Her head was about a foot away from her body. The police in Nepal began investigating the homicide, but similarly to Aubrey's case, the locals denied having seen her. When Debbie's body was recovered, it showed no signs of sexual assault, and she still had money on her, so it was unclear what the motive of the murder was. Now, despite the amount of travelers who've gone missing in Nepal, Basil Fernando, the policy director at the Asian Human Rights Commission, told CNN that Westerners weren't often the target of crimes there. He explained that criminals were fearful of punishments they'd face for harming a tourist. A police chief in one of the districts in Nepal agreed with this assessment, saying that locals would want to help with locating whoever is attacking and murdering tourists because, quote, tourists not only bring business, but also donate money for their children's education and the like. Since Aubrey disappeared in 2010, at least 18 hikers have gone missing around the Himalayas in Nepal. 
An article in Nepal Minute states the author's belief behind the reason of the disappearances. Quote, the main reason why their whereabouts are unknown is this, solo trekking in a completely unknown and geographically hostile terrain, end quote. A trek guide in Nepal, Babu Sherpa, agreed that trekkers shouldn't hike alone, saying, quote, most of the missing trekkers are the ones who travel without a guide and are not all coordinating with an agency. But if the trekker is with an agency or guide or even porter, he will never go missing. I want to take a minute here and acknowledge that this does sound a lot like victim blaming. We're not about that here on the Murder Diaries, but we can't deny the dangers of being alone in terrain like this. This kind of hike is no joke. It is so easy to get hurt or lost. Obviously, these people did not deserve to go missing if the cause was something more sinister, like a predator of some sort. Now, back to Aubrey's story. In the past several years, the government in Nepal has made several attempts to make traveling through the area safer for foreigners. In 2015, the government developed a system that required all travelers to register themselves into the TIMS system. TIMS stands for Trekkers Information Management System, and this system makes it possible to track the route and movements and locations of hikers in the Himalaya region. Unfortunately, some travelers still avoided registering in TIMS, and more travelers were reported missing after Aubrey. Though there has been no evidence found to indicate what happened to Aubrey after she left Sherpa Lounge, there is much speculation as to where she might be. The trail that Aubrey was following ran alongside the Langtang River. It's possible that Aubrey could have lost her footing and fallen into the rapid water, but her father doesn't put much stock in that. Paul believes that based on how in shape Aubrey was from hiking, yoga, and sports, it's unlikely that she would have fallen in. Volunteers who assisted in the search for Aubrey told CNN that though many areas on the trail were difficult to access and would carry risk of falling to the river below, the area between Lama Hotel and Gora Tabela did not. One volunteer said, you literally have to jump over the side. Another volunteer noted that if someone did fall into that area, they wouldn't land directly in the river, as it was still several feet away. Some believe that Aubrey may have been abducted and taken to Pakistan, swept away into human trafficking. Or perhaps she fell victim to corrupt members of the Nepalese army and locals who attacked her. Shortly after Aubrey disappeared, three French female hikers reported to police that they were sexually assaulted by Nepali soldiers at the post just past Riverside. Aubrey's younger brother told ESPN, it's a corrupt country with a very corrupt army, and it's widely known that members of the army harass and even assault the female hikers on that particular trail. He then referenced back to the locals who initially reported having seen Aubrey, but then changed their stories, telling the Sakos that they had never seen her. He believes that they know something, and it's possible that they're scared of telling the truth. Morgan thinks that it's very likely that Aubrey got hurt while hiking and a local may have helped her off the trail and that Aubrey was either held hostage by locals or she got lost while trying to find her way back to the trail. In 2013, Paul and Connie received a phone call from a Nepali man named Dawa Lawa. And in this phone call, he says that police had arrested three men who confessed to murdering Aubrey. Shortly after, the Sakos spoke with Consular Section Chief Patrick McNeil, who worked at the U.S. Embassy. Patrick told the Sakos that a man had confessed to murdering Aubrey to an undercover Nepali police officer. He also pointed the finger at two other men that had reportedly helped him. Media in Nepal reported that one of the men had Aubrey's camera and that pieces of her clothing were found in their homes. 
two of the three men told police that they'd murdered Aubrey shortly after she disappeared. They said that they'd followed Aubrey from Kathmandu, abducting her after she began her hike in Langtang. After they murdered her, the men said that they'd thrown her body, passport, and belongings into the river. Not long after, Patrick phoned the Sakos to reluctantly tell them that the Nepali police couldn't verify any of the men's information about Aubrey. The men continued to change their story, naming different people, some of who didn't even exist. Without any physical evidence, no camera, none of Aubrey's clothing found, the three men were released from police custody. Paul, Connie, Crofton, and Morgan still hope that they'll find out what happened to Aubrey in Nepal. They manage a Facebook page called American Aubrey Sacco Missing Nepal Himalayas, where they share memories and stories of Aubrey. Friends and loved ones, and even those who'd only heard of Aubrey after she disappeared, post often on the Facebook page, covering the wall with pictures of dragonflies. The cover photo on the page has a smiling picture of Aubrey and reads in part, dragonflies and glitter are simple little signs of hope. Occasionally, the Sakos share excerpts from Aubrey's travel journal, giving the world a glimpse into the mind of the bright, wide-opened brunette that disappeared in the Himalayas. One such entry, written by Aubrey on her 23rd birthday while in India, seems to sum up what she was trying to accomplish on her trip to Asia. As a reminder, that date would have been January 17, 2010, and she wrote, After finishing my double-scoop butterscotch ice cream cone, I wander into the Divine Bookstore at the Art of Living International Ashram. I pick up the book Silence by His Holiness Sri Sri Ravi Shankar and opened to a random page. She goes on to quote what she read. A poor man celebrates the new year once a year. A rich man celebrates it every day. But the richest man celebrates it every moment. The Sakos continue to keep Aubrey's legacy alive. One way they did this was creating Aubrey's Closet. Because of her love of fashion, color, and eccentric designs, her family hosts a clothing donation for high school students to give qualified students free formal wear and accessories. They accept donations at their website, aubreysacco.com. At this time, no evidence has been found to indicate that Aubrey was the victim of foul play. She remains missing. If you have any information on the disappearance of Aubrey Sacco, please contact the Sacco family on their website or the official Facebook page. We'll make sure to link one of them in the show notes. That's it for this week on The Murder Diaries. Be sure to follow us on all social media at The Murder Diaries Pod. We're on TikTok and Instagram, also threads. Until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.